millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Alison Twelvetrees has come to London to give the most important presentation of her career. I woke up at half past five this morning. It was like a massive anxiety dream about the minus 80 freezer door being open. <laughs> Just like such a stereotypical <laughs> scientist nightmare to have. <laughs> it's spring 2020, a very rainy day, and Ali has travelled from the north of England, where she's a neuroscientist at the University of Sheffield. Less than an hour from now, she'll walk in front of a panel of 30 experts and give a five-minute talk. This talk will determine whether her new lab succeeds or fails. She's pitching for over a million pounds. Do you ha- are you the kind of person who memorises your presentation, given that it's only short, or are you hoping to wing aspects of it? And uh, you have to memorise it. It's five minutes, right? And it's, it's, it's a million pounds. <laughs> Labs in the UK don't generally come with funding. New lab heads have to first get a job and then go out and get their own money. So there's a lot riding on this for Ali. It's a million pounds, 1.11 million to be exact. That's enough to run her fledgling lab for at least five years, paying her own salary, recruiting and paying staff, and buying a microscope that she can't do her work without. Right now, she and a handful of students get by on stipends, small startup grants, and a shared microscope. As if that wasn't enough pressure, her husband, Dan, is in the same boat. New job needs money. It's like you're at the starting box. You, you want to run for a race and you're waiting for the funding to come in so you can start. It's also the second time that Ali has applied for this big chunk of cash. Time is running out. Her small startup grants are running out. She needs this. For the last three years, four reporters from Nature have been following Ali and Dan as they try to get their labs off the ground. Then there's a global pandemic... And then something even more traumatic happens for Ali and Dan. From nature, this is Starting Up in Science. There were four of us working on this story, and here on the podcast we're telling it in four parts. So you'll hear from a different reporter in each episode. And in this episode we're talking money. Producer Benjamin Thompson takes it from here. 
Every year, thousands of scientists around the world open the door to their very own labs. And what they all want is broadly the same. They want answers to burning questions about exoplanets or dinosaurs or cancer. At Nature, we most often talk to scientists when they've started to answer those big questions, by which point they've usually already set themselves up. Big lab, great kit, new discovery. But for this show, we wanted to tell a different story. An origin story. The tale of neuroscientist Ali. I'm Alison Twelvetrees. And her geneticist husband, Dan. So my name is Dan Bowes. As they set up their labs from scratch. You push really, really hard to get to where we are and... You want to keep pushing, you want to be doing great science. Ali and Dan have been scientists for over ten years, married for nine, and they have a six-year-old daughter, Ada. They both managed to get positions at the University of Sheffield and started in 2017. Even getting those jobs in the same place has been a slog, but we'll get to that in the next episode. The story we want to tell you in these podcasts spans more than a decade, but we're going to start about two-thirds of the way through, right when Dan and Ali landed in Sheffield in the spring of 2017. One April morning, Dan walks into the grand red-brick entrance hall of the university and through the courtyard with its neatly mown grass. He goes up an ornate but scruffy staircase in the biology department and then down a windowless corridor. The walls of this corridor are covered with large posters that have been presented at conferences. Doors lead off to several labs. He stops in front of one of them. It's his. It's first day at school, I think. It's uh, you come in, you don't really know what to expect. He looked at the door for a bit longer, and then he got stage fright. I didn't go in for the first couple of days. I I was in the office to start, and then I knew the lab space was there. Um, There was quite a big barrier before going in to lab space and discovering what was there and what you had to work with. Dan knew that in time, this lab was where he would grow his ideas, mentor a group of his own, and search for answers to all his most pressing scientific questions. But the reality of day one was quite different. I think the first time I went in, so I walked in and looked at it and thought, okay, um, what do I do now? Uh, I maybe tidied, I think I sprayed down and wiped off a bit of dust and then walked out again and I did this solidly for about two weeks every day walked in and okay where do I start what do I do Ali had a slightly less traditional first day experience at the Sheffield Institute for Translational Neuroscience or CITRAN for short so Dan had a space that was allocated to him I turned up and I sat in my office for a few weeks and then at a meeting I sort of raised uh, a bench maybe While she waited for some space, she got going on plans for her group's future and started to think about what she would need and how to budget for it. Ali's aim is to peer inside neurons and see how their motor proteins carry cargo. For this, she will need some very expensive kit. Uh, So my fantasy microscope um, is currently... um, The quote that I have is is around £250,000. Yeah. Quarter of a million. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always think of it more as like science tokens because obviously you can buy a house for two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and yeah, it's the the reality of sort of spending science budgets and then actually living in the real world as a person and <laughs> like a normal home budget are very different. So like I I just separate it. It's like science tokens. I can buy this much science. <laughs> like, 
250,000 pounds is a lot of money, but it's a lot of microscopes. Dan too was making a list of everything he needed. Not just the big ticket items, but the little things that are crucial for a smooth running lab. Fridges, pipettes, various chemicals and so on. Suddenly you start to have an opportunity on the horizon when you can start to diversify your ideas and, and take all of your terrible ideas or your crazy ideas that you've had during your postdoc and say, let's try and push them onto my own research now. This is Dan's excited voice. He's got lots of ideas. But at this point, ideas are about all he has got. Just like Ali, he's starting at square one. Neither has a team and they have almost no money. Dan and some other new lab heads even started playing a game. How many experiments could they do just using free samples from suppliers? Not every new lab head shares Dan and Ali's experience. In the US, for example, it's pretty common for new PIs to get enough money to run for at least the first couple of years. But in the UK, a university will often offer you a job and then expect you to win grants in order to prove that they should keep you. Ali and Dan need funding. And if they don't find it, their newborn labs could struggle to survive. Their first priority is to apply for grants. Right from the off, it's it's tough to get to the bench because A, the resources aren't there in lab, and B, you have instantly other, other things to think about. But it's kind of a catch-22. The longer it takes him to get money, the more his hypotheses go stale. The worry is that you don't get the round of funding that you're going in for now. So when you apply again, and then with each grant that doesn't get funded, instead of being right at the, the cutting edge of what you want to do, you're slipping back and you're not able to, to generate the data to keep up with where you want to be and where the field is. Of course, even well-resourced scientists worry about their ideas getting old or getting scooped. But at the beginning of the journey, the frustration is even greater. I have so many ideas and so many things that I want to do and no resources to carry any of that out at the moment. And that takes us right back to Ali, standing on London's Euston Road in the pouring rain, waiting to give the five-minute presentation which could change everything. Um, How does it feel to be here again? It's good. It's like the end of a process. I think, you know, certainly the end of something, whatever happens. And I have to rapidly figure out how we're going to stay afloat as a research lab. When we come back and see you in a year, Mm -hmm. what will have happened? Uh, First nature paper, big funding and a holiday. This is just the sort of positive thinking Dan and Ali will need to carry them through. And as hard as it might be to keep their heads above water, at least Ali and Dan have found jobs. So, how did they get them? What did it take to get to the starting line? That's next time on Starting Up in Science. This episode of Starting Up in Science was written by me, Kerry Smith, and narrated by Benjamin Thompson. Benjamin Thompson and I produced the series with editing help from Noah Baker. Heidi Ledford, Richard Van Norden, Benjamin Thompson and I reported the story for the podcast and for the text version on our website. Read that at nature.com news. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.